Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Well, welcome to this latest episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. And today we're in the middle of Holy Week, and we've decided to do a special show on the liturgy and the words of the season. And I have as a guest today my friend Father Tim McCree, the rector at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Canton, North Carolina. Tim's been here in Haywood County for over 20 years and is probably one of the finest preachers and liturgical leaders in this part of the world. Uh, My wife and I attended St. Andrew's for a few years when I wasn't appointed by the bishop, and um, he was my pastor and my colleague in ministry. And I have to say that I learned more about worship and and the Wesleys while worshiping with the folks at St. Andrew's and I'm forever thankful for Tim and his ministry. So, Tim, thanks for being here. Thank you, Michael. It's a joy and a privilege to be with you today. Well, it's great, and it's a busy week for you, and I'm glad you took your time. I know that uh, uh, this is a big sacrifice in the middle of a, a week. So what do you have ahead for you as the priest in an Episcopal parish? I know the, the week looks long right now. Well, we are having passed... Uh, Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday and moving into Holy Week. We have ahead of us the proper liturgies for Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. And then in the evening of Holy Saturday, the Great Vigil of Easter. All right. And then Easter Sunday. Then then Easter Day itself, indeed. So how many sermons do you have to have ready? Well, I have three that I'm working on at the moment and editing four or five bulletins and our deacon, the Reverend Dr. Russell Smith, will be preaching on Thursday night because Monday Thursday, in many ways, is focused on the servant ministry of Jesus. Okay. And so um, I know there'll probably be foot washing. There will be foot washing and the commemoration of the institution of the Holy Eucharist and the stripping of the altar and moving of the reserved sacrament to an altar of repose until the liturgy on Good Friday. Yeah. So... Uh, having been with you through this cycle, you know, for a few years, I know that it is one of the busiest times of the year. Um, now, there's uh, differences within the Episcopal Church and the United Methodist tradition, even though we came out of the same church as Anglicans. Um, uh, United Methodists in the United States tend to be more free in their services. Uh, you don't have a fixed liturgy for uh, the great triduum, the th- great three days. Um, um, but within the Episcopal Church, the Book of Common Prayer has a fixed liturgy. It does indeed, and we are blessed with that. Uh, Some folks might think it's somewhat restraining, but for me, and I think for most Episcopalians, the structure gives us a framework to hang our spirituality on, Mm. Uh, particularly uh, in these three days when we reenact the great drama of our salvation. Mm. And so the three days... Thursday, Friday, Saturday is really one drama in three acts that gets played out over those three days. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, something now. Uh, and you mentioned Holy Saturday, and I would guess within most United Methodist churches, they don't do nothing. Uh, there is no liturgy on Saturday. Uh, maybe an egg hunt, uh, which I would hardly call that uh, liturgy. <laughs> but uh, I, I look at uh, most United Methodist churches. Uh, the church is boarded up, you know, they're getting ready for Sunday, but 
there is a full day on Saturday. And so let's talk a little bit about Holy Saturday. What what will happen at St. Andrews that day? At St. Andrews at 10 a.m., we will engage the proper liturgy, liturgy for Holy Saturday, which is a commemoration of the day that our Lord spent in the tomb prior to the resurrection. Mm. And it has readings uh, from the Old Testament, uh, Job chapter 14, Psalm 130, a reading from the uh, first epistle of Peter, dealing with uh, the work of Christ on preaching to the dead, as it were, and proclaiming the gospel to them. And then uh, you have options with the gospel, either from Matthew or from John, that speak to the burial of Jesus. Mm. And then as a part of that uh, liturgy, then you go go to the burial office. Is that correct? Uh, the, the liturgy concludes with uh, a collect from the burial office at the conclusion of that yeah. liturgy, indeed. And so um, that is, you know, one of the neat things. And I remember uh, attending that service, you know, a couple of times. And, and it's just um, a full part of the drama uh, to be able to say, yeah, uh, Jesus did something on Saturday. That's right. He did die. He was buried. And yet uh, the New Testament tells us that even then he was still breaking the Sabbath, as it were, and not resting, but actually continuing to work, mm. proclaiming the gospel of salvation to those who had died. Yeah, powerful, powerful stuff. Now, uh, one of the other things that I, I remember in your parish, and I don't know if you're doing it this year, you do the uh, service of reconciliation for uh, those. You'd uh, be there from noon to one or something like that and hear confession. And we have offered that in the past, but... In recent years, fewer and fewer folks chose to take advantage of that. So folks know that that is offered and it's available, but I no longer set specific hours for that. Okay. And then um, the Great Vigil. And I know, uh, was it last year? Maybe it was last year. We went uh, uh, and you had it early in the morning before uh, the service, but there was something special about when it was on Saturday night. Right. The uh, rubric in the prayer book says that the great vigil is celebrated at any convenient time after sundown on Holy Saturday. Okay. And following the Jewish Hebrew reckoning of time, that the day begins with sundown and then moves into the fullness of the night and then into the next day. Hmm. And so th those were some of my, my <clears throat> special times uh, uh, with you. And we'll talk about that more in the second half of the show. And I actually have a piece of the exalted from... Uh, from that uh, when the deacon would would sing the exalted and we're going to listen to that in the second half of the show but um what what for you and you've been doing this for many years you've been a parish priest for 30 years now not quite 30 years about going on 25 okay so doing these same services year after year there there's some parts of them that are your favorites and what what would you say is uh one of your favorite passages or prayers of these next three days? Well, it's really hard to choose because the whole drama again of the fullness of the week, starting with Thursday and moving through Holy Saturday, is always moving to me and mm. continues to be moving to me. And it helps me focus my own faith journey going forward with Jesus through his last meal with his disciples, his arrest in the garden, his arraignment, his trial, his sentencing, 
and then his death. Mm. And on Friday, when we commemorate the death, it's like we were there. Mm. And and I always feel like it's like the old spiritual. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And of mm. course, the answer is yes. We were there and we are there. Mm. And to feel the depth of that and the weight of that, but also included in that the hope of moving forward to the resurrection. Mm. The uh, liturgy on Maundy Thursday, uh, which includes in our tradition, the foot washing, mm. uh, which is taken from John's account of the Last Supper. John, of course, does his Eucharistic theology in chapter six with the bread of life discourse. Mm -hmm. But focusing on the Last Supper, he shows the sign of servanthood. And Jesus girds himself with a towel, gets down on his knees and washes his disciples' feet. And so we reenact that as well as reenacting the commemoration of the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. Mm. So that, that service is very meaningful for me. Uh, on Good Friday, perhaps the most meaningful part is the veneration of the cross when we bring a stark wooden cross into a church that has been stripped of all decoration mm. on Thursday night before that liturgy closes. The, the church is stripped bare. Right. And so it is so stark. And then we bring in a very plain, stark wooden cross and have prayers before that cross, venerating the uh, act of salvation that was accomplished there for the world, not just for me, not just for you, right. not just for Methodists or Episcopalians, but for the world, that salvation was accomplished on that instrument of capital punishment. Hmm. Powerful stuff. It is indeed. And, uh, you know, as a Christian, having done this, having led these services in our own way and our own United Methodist way, um, it's always been powerful these three days uh, and it's something that the commercial world hasn't figured out how to uh, corrupt. That, uh, that's very true. And it's, it's interesting because uh, in the town of Canton, where I've served for over 20 years, even before I came, this, this tradition goes back 25 years or more, that we do a procession of the cross ecumenically mm -hmm. through the town of Canton every year on Good Friday at 11, and then finish with a, a noon service at Central United Methodist in Canton. But on the way of the processing of the cross through the town, commerce is going on. Right. The paper mill is running at full capacity, and people are coming and going. And I think it's very much like Jerusalem must have been with this little procession of Jesus and the two condemned criminals going right. out through the gates to Golgotha. Yeah. And the whole commerce of Jerusalem was just buzzing around them. So that's a that's a powerful piece that we do in Canton that's very meaningful as well. Yeah, that's always been a meaningful thing to me. Uh, Rose and I are going to miss it this year. Um, we try and come most years, and this year she's getting her teeth, uh, her wisdom teeth taken out. God help her. That's, that will be a Good Friday experience. It will be a Good Friday experience. <laughs> so uh, we'll be in surgery about 11 o'clock. But just note that uh, um, that is a, a powerful <coughs> thing to me that um, – we as the Christian church, you know, have at least, you know, a set of holidays within our life that uh, the rest of the world hasn't figured out and isn't making money on. I guess the Easter bunny gets a little money, but it's nothing like our Christmas and it's nothing um, like some other holy days in the, in the season. Exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, thank God it's not as commercialized, even though we're seeing the Cadbury bunny on TV and all that sort of thing. Right. Uh, but 
if Christians would take time to contemplate mm. the days of this week and the drama that unfolds and remember that our salvation was purchased at such great a cost and that we can participate in that. Mm. We can reenact that knowing that the Lord has promised to be with us and his deed is with us as we make this journey with him to Jerusalem and the cross. For sure. Now, and uh, we'll talk about it some more as well after this break coming up, but uh, one of the things that I, I know to be true about uh, the Episcopal Church and um, this liturgy is that there's lots of scripture being used during that week. Uh, um, maybe more than some of our other uh, brothers and sisters out there use in a year, uh, in a week. There's just a ton there. And so I know that the Bible is central uh, to Holy Week and to the great three days. And what, what do you think? If you mentioned a couple of passages that have stood out to you, but uh, I was wondering about your thinking about how the Bible uh, is central uh, to this whole celebration and to the Book of Common Prayer there. Well, it is indeed central, and, and it is, of course, the story of salvation. It is salvation history for the Jewish community as well as the Christian community. Reading, As we read as Christians, the Old Testament the Hebrew scriptures through the lens of the resurrection. Hmm. We go back to the beginning, particularly with the great vigil of Easter. We start with the creation story. We read the story of the deliverance uh, of Israel from Egypt at Exodus. We read the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. In the great vigil of Easter, there are actually nine Old Testament readings appointed, plus many Psalms, Mm -hmm. a Psalm between each one of those readings. So if you do that service in its fullness, which we don't have the capacity to do, we, we do five Old Testament readings of five Psalms during the liturgy of the word before we get to the epistle reading from Romans chapter six, and then on to the resurrection gospel at the great vigil. But in those readings, we see God's mighty hand at work from the beginning of creation to the culmination of the process of salvation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm. So the whole story of salvation unfolds before us every Holy Saturday when we do the great vigil of Easter. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, I'll never forget the, well, we, we actually did it at Long's Chapel. This was back when I was an associate here. And John Boggs, who's now uh, a DS over the Blue Ridge District, he was the pastor there. And so uh, he came, and uh, we started doing that Saturday night tradition. I don't know that they do it anymore, but I do know that that was a freaky thing back in the 1990s for a bunch of Methodists to uh, do that. But what an amazing service on Saturday night. It is indeed. And, you know, it's only been since the revision of the Book of Common Prayer in 1979 that the Great Vigil of Easter has been restored to Anglican worship. Mm. And so this is the first prayer book, the 1979 revision, that has had this service since the English Reformation of the 16th century. Wow. Now, many Episcopal parishes that are in the so-called Anglo-Catholic or High Church tradition have done this service, but they had to borrow the liturgy from Roman Catholic sources or other sources, and it was not a prayer book liturgy. And they had to get 
actually technically they had to get the bishop's permission to do this service prior to this prayer book revision. Okay. Uh, the authors and compilers of this revision of the Book of Common Prayer said that Easter is the foundation of Christianity. Mm. There is no Christian faith without a robust proclamation of Easter. And tied to that, of course, is the centrality of baptism for the individual Christian. Right. Every baptism is a death and burial and rising, mm. as it were. And so the great vigil of Easter and the baptismal significance of that liturgy is paramount to the whole prayer book structure in this revision. Well, it is a powerful thing. We're going to take a little break, uh, have a couple of sponsors, and then we'll come back and we're going to actually read some passages so that we don't leave Holy Week, this show, without hearing some of those words. So uh, let's hear now from uh, Sally Queen and our conference staff. My name is Sally Queen, and I'm the Associate Director of Ministerial Services. By virtue of our baptism, we are all called into ministry. This call is being faithfully lived out in the communities of Western North Carolina as people of all ages participate in building God's kingdom. Others are responding to God's call to license or ordain ministry by committing to faithfully lead our churches in vitality. All who are called are using their talents and gifts to follow Jesus, make disciples, and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build the church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people, as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes, and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina at the sponsor page on our show's website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're back with uh, Tim McCree, and you're helping me live through uh, the Holy Week services. And again, I thank you for your time in the uh, middle of this busy week. And uh, I know that those that listen to this, um, some of it's going to be foreign because they're not used to hearing about this fixed liturgy, but we all know about Monday Thursday. Uh, we all know about uh, Good Friday, at least in the United Methodist Church. Um, that Holy Saturday is a little odd to some, and the Great Vigil, there'll be a few churches across our uh, denomination doing it. Um, Easter Sunday, now, what I remember as a pastor, uh, uh, sunrise service is something a lot of Methodists do. Um, that would be the equivalent of the Easter Vigil, uh, but without all the liturgy. That's pretty much correct. And again, the uh, the Easter Vigil is appointed by rubric at the prayer book from any convenient time after sundown on Saturday. And uh, when I was in seminary, we started it at about 4 a.m. And it had the whole seminary community and spouses and children and faculty and staff were participants in that. And because we were in all in liturgic classes, we did every conceivable thing that could be done with that liturgy. And it took about two and a half hours to do it all. Wow. Uh, so uh, most congregations would not sit still for, for that fullness. Right. But uh, we feel, I feel very strongly that it is not Easter until you have lived through the great vigil mm. thereof. I agree. Um, and there's always baptismal renewal uh, during that service. And uh, it, it is hard to practice Easter 
without, as you said earlier, that, that, that baptism is a part of this all, the, the dying and then uh, the death and resurrection of baptism is just an important aspect. Exactly. And uh, in the ancient church up through probably about the 5th or 6th century, baptisms were only done at the great vigil of Easter. That was hmm. the only time in the year when they were done, and they were all done by the bishop. And the newly baptized, as soon as they came up out of the water, were then processed into the church because the baptistry usually was a separate building Mm. from the church. And they were brought into the church with their brand new white garments that had never been worn before. They had been anointed all over their bodies from head to toe with a fragrant, newly blessed oil of chrism. Mm. And they carried with them an oil lamp burning showing that they had indeed received the light of Christ. And they were processed into the church in a group as the vigil had been going on, sometimes for hours. Mm. And when they came in, the Eucharist was celebrated, and they received their first communion on the day of their baptism. Very powerful. Yeah, I uh, I think, you know, we in 21st century uh, church, we, we've missed some of this. Uh, we get to relive it within the Episcopal liturgy. But uh, I'm thinking uh, uh, in my lifetime, uh, that powerfulness of baptism, uh, we did it just about any Sunday that uh, somebody wanted it, when you brought a baby. Exactly, exactly. And that that separates it from the Easter reality that is indeed baptism. Mm. Baptism is the inauguration of the Easter life for the individual Christian, and also the inauguration of the Easter life of the church when we are all gathered together in community. Mm. And so if you have a candidate for baptism, the great vigil is the service at which to do that. Right. I will never forget uh, in one of my parishes, and this was, this was almost 15 years ago, um, we decided that we would do uh, full Easter liturgy, and we had baptisms and Eucharist on Easter Sunday. Almost floored those Methodists. I can I can just imagine yep. having having grown up Methodist myself. I've uh, started out life at First Church in Hickory, actually. Yeah, and I meant to say that in the introduction. <laughs> I knew you had grown up in a in a Methodist church, and uh, it was uh, later in your teens, wasn't it, when you uh, went to the Episcopal Church in Newton? I was a senior in high school when I was confirmed into the Episcopal Church at Church of the Epiphany in Newton. Okay. So I forgot to mention that. So when I do my tagline about connecting United Methodists, uh, this is a guy that grew up United Methodist. So uh, it's not that far flung that any of us can find liturgy and life uh, from being in the Methodist tradition. Indeed so. So, um, but uh, I'll never forget doing that as as a parish minister and it floored them, but then uh, they never quit talking about it, that that was such a powerful service. Absolutely. So um, why don't we get into um, just reading a little bit. Um, and I'll say right now uh, that one of my favorite pieces of uh, the liturgy of the next three days is uh, um, the uh, Easter Vigil and uh, the singing of the exalted and um, it just doesn't cut it to read it. To to hear it sung is just the most powerful thing. And when uh, Rose and I were in that congregation, uh, uh, 
uh, Ray Escott was the deacon that sung it, and he did such a beautiful job. And over a period of years, he got better and better at it. Indeed. So Ray, in his youth, was a, a lead singer in a rock band, so he has a great voice. <laughs> Makes a difference. So um, the, uh, the version that I have is 10 minutes long. We're not going to play the whole thing, but I wanted to just get the first you know, a little bit of it to get the idea. So this is ancient chant, uh, but the words of the exalted for all United Methodists, it's in the book of worship. And you can find it in the book of common prayer as well. And this particular version, I think it came out of uh, a Roman church, but it's basically the same. It is the same. So uh, let's just hear this for a little bit so that everybody can uh, experience a little bit of uh, the great vigil. Exalt, let them exalt the hosts of heaven. Exalt, let angel ministers of God exalt. Let the trumpet of salvation sound aloud our mighty King's triumph. Be glad, let earth be glad as glory floods her, ablazing with light from her eternal King. Let all corners of the earth be glad, knowing an end to gloom and darkness. And being a good Latin song, those first words in Latin, exultet. Exactly. So Rejoice um, now. Rejoice now. It is an amazing uh, piece. And uh, to sort of start that whole set of scriptures with that song uh, uh, was always an amazing thing. And it was something I had never heard it before until I ended up at St. Andrews uh, for that time. Well, it is a a magnificent hymn and prayer and blessing, giving thanks for the return of the light of Christ after the darkness of the tomb. Mm. And uh, traditionally is sung or by a deacon. It's, a, it's the only blessing that a deacon can do in our liturgy. And it is a blessing of the Paschal candle, the candle that is lit at the great vigil from a new fire that is kindled outside in the darkness and that light continues to burn at every service for the great 50 days of Easter through Pentecost. And that candle is brought out again at every baptism, mm. symbolizing the light of Christ that's passed to the newly baptized. And it is brought out again at every funeral. Mm. And it is lit at every funeral to symbolize the light of Christ that continues with the one who has departed because they have been baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus the light of Jesus lives in them forever. All right. Yeah, that is powerful stuff. And I can remember uh, uh, starting those services outside, and it was one time that you got to use incense there at uh, the church because you didn't gas everybody in the sanctuary. But Exactly. Our, uh, I would love to use incense in the church, but our choir director and choir say, if you do that, we can't sing. So <laughs> we, we use it outside to bless the uh, newly kindled fire and the Paschal candle at the great vigil. Mm. Yeah. That uh, was always a neat thing to uh, experience. So uh, maybe there is a prayer from uh, this, this next three days that you'd like to share uh, 
with those folks listening today. Anything that you would like to share? The collect for Monday Thursday. Almighty Father, whose dear Son on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life, and who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Hmm. The the Collect for Good Friday uh, moves us farther along. Almighty God, we pray you graciously to behold this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Yeah, powerful stuff. So as we move through these next three days, um, there'll be a lot of words, a lot of music in, in front of us. Is there a favorite hymn that uh, you have during these uh, next three days? Wow, that's a very difficult one indeed. Uh, The strife is o'er, the battle done. Mm. He is risen, he is risen. And uh, there are some old uh, Latin songs, uh, the Pange Lingua, Now My Tongue, the Mystery Telling, on, Mm. on Monday, Thursday, in commemoration of the Holy Eucharist. But I just am moved by the totality of the drama of the three days. No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, by Sunday morning, uh, Methodists and Episcopalians and Christians all over the world are going to be singing uh, a Charles Wesley tune, usually. Absolutely. We, none of us would have a hymnal without the Wesley brothers. And it was one of the most amazing things as a, as a United Methodist in an Episcopal parish is I would thumb through that hymnal morning after morning, there was lots of Charles Wesley in that hymnal. And, uh, and uh, some of them we don't even sing in the United Methodist Church. Uh, they're not in our hymnal, but they're in the Episcopal hymnal. And I find that amazing. And there is something about the whole drama that we're about to experience in Holy Week uh, and about the music of this season that uh, is life-changing and life-giving. Absolutely. Well, Tim, uh, we've come to the end of the show. It has been powerful to have you on, on, and I appreciate your time. And I wish St. Andrew's folks blessings, the churches of the Western North Carolina Diocese of the Episcopal Church, and to the churches of the Western North Carolina Conference. We bid you a good and grateful um, three days ahead. Thank you, and God bless you, Michael. And it's been a joy and privilege to be with you and to share this morning. So thanks, everyone, for listening here on Blog Talk Radio, and this will be available as a podcast later today. And just know that you can always keep up with us at our show's website, umconnect.info. And we're going to be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect.